Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. A roast as dark as the night, perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes, he's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of spring Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> How does one start this? You choose to. Hello, dear listener. It is I, one of a million Agent Smiths, Bruiser Holden McNeely. And yeah, maybe I'm just a whole kind of symbol for how life is constantly dissatisfactory. And actually, this is all just about Buddhism. If you really get into it. Yeah, that's right. It's the weird ass matrix sequels. Jake made me do it. Jake, give your intro now. Nothing is nothing is good right now about this. Hear me, <laughs> wizard and bruisers. Yes, the machines will come. Yes, our armies have fought for a century. But I remember that what matters most. We are still making podcasts. <laughs> so today, let us send a message to this podcast. Tonight, let us shake the podcast. Let us tremble these halls of earth, steel, and stone. Let us be heard from the red cord to the black sky. Tonight, let us make them remember. This is Zion, and we are not afraid. Oh, yeah, what's wrong with me? How did I not start this with, hey, it's your sexy orgy scene wizard, Holden McNeely. We're writhing on each other, but no one seems to be looking like they're having a good time at this rave orgy. Everyone just seems very upset, and there's like a guy jumping in the background, like, over and over again for no reason. Let me tell you, Holden, if <laughs> I am building a literal $300 million mega production, an unprecedented technical and just in terms of sheer engineering achievement, pushing beyond the boundaries of what is technologically capable of being produced by human hands, I, for one, would try and get my lead actors to not act like they're two cousins who are forced to hug for a family photo. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, shall we start there? Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing the Matrix sequels. We'll also talk about the Animatrix and the video games, especially as they tie into everything and kind of fill out the lore of it all. Uh, this is, of course, in preparation for the Matrix film coming out. Uh, Matrix Resurrected? Is that the one? Matrix the, Resurrection. These, um, I'm, I get so confused by the titles of these movies. They all start with an R and they're multiple syllables long. Reloaded is a terrible name for a sequel. Yes. It literally sounds like a remaster or yeah, some it kind does. of real. It totally does. It, Absolutely. It does, and there's no way of by reading, like it's by looking at the titles, you don't know which is the second and which is the third. Also, the first Matrix definitely did not was intended as a kind of tone poem yeah. and not a actual thing that you watch the finishing story. Oh my the god. The ending I mean- of the Matrix <laughs> is the is cyberpunk Gen X MTV version of and they all lived cool and happy ever after. Yeah, they all lived like you didn't <laughs> badassedly ever after. Fuck yeah. Hit the rage against the machine. <laughs> Come and, on. And- yeah, I mean, honestly, that. So, first of all, uh, we definitely already did an episode on the first Matrix film. Mm-hmm. So, definitely check that out if you want to hear all about. You know, I, I think that this is going to be a little bit different. We're not going to be talking about you know the backstory of the Wachowskis. We're not going to be talking about Keanu Reeves's career up until the Matrix. Which so that's Joe Wachowski is a comedian we're both friends with. Unbelievable! Am I immediately <laughs> gaffing up the uh, the names? Yes. Yeah, so honestly, the fact that we're gaffing it up in not the way we thought. We We'd be is amazing. <laughs> so th- today we're going to be talking more about the sequels, and honestly, we're going to be talking about the making of them a little bit. But I think we're more going to be breaking down what the fuck happened and and um, what these things are back were back then and what they are now. Let's let's just get into the gush or whatever you want to call this part, because I don't know if it was necessarily the most flattering mm. of our gushes that we've done where we talk about our experience with the thing. I remember seeing the matrix reloaded in the movie theater. I was in college, you know, I saw the first matrix in the movie theater. It was definitely like perfect place, perfect time. I was in high school. I was the perfect age for this movie. It blew my mind. I walked, I remember like, one of those moments it's so cheesy thinking back and that like when the rage against the machine hit and the fight in the end credits of the first matrix i remember like standing up with a big grin on my face and i felt cool yeah i felt like a cool person in it doing a cool person thing and like i strutted out of the movie theater like somehow the movie made me cool right Whereas with Reloaded, you know, we went in, I remember immediately, you know, they they hit you right up top with that that rave orgy scene. Mm-hmm. And it's so completely off from like what that first movie was and felt like. That first movie in a lot of ways felt like, you know, for the same reason I watched Jurassic Park a million times and wore it out. It was a good movie for like it just every every moment felt in its right place. It was the kind of movie that one would potentially be that uh, take it and just watch it every single night before you know to fall asleep or something mm-hmm. like that. Or, or wearing that movie. the VHS tape down to the yeah, plastic wearing it out ribbon. because it just because it's the kind of movie one would memorize, right? Mm-hmm. Because every beat is just so in its right place. Beats. So it's so by the numbers. Hold on to that like idea of like yeah. solid beats because solid that- story beats that constantly and you know uh, uh, that constantly moved the story forward. Even the big fight action scenes, there was like a plot point to be made in each one of Neo evolving in a certain way or learning something about uh, Agent Smith or about you know the the who's behind the matrix and all that kind of the stuff. The first matrix is almost uncanny in how it's it's it feels 
shorter than it actually is. It's a two hour movie. It is not as zippy as you remember it being, but the way it kind of builds up steam and towards the end, every little dumb rule and every fiddly detail and every potential inevitability that was teased throughout the movie it comes to fruition mm-hmm. by the time Neo is like fighting off agents and becoming the one. And for yeah, some reason, very fulfilling. It's yes. fulfilling, Jake. As an audience member, you are like you're like feeling like the knowledge you have gleaned throughout the process is now paying off, just like Neo is. It's in, it's impeccably done. Mm-hmm. And and then you get to reloaded and reloaded. First of all, Jake, how dare you? Four and a half hours of film. Needed to be watched of 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 Matrix sequel had to be watched in six preparation. if you count the Animatrix seven yes. if you count uh, me watching the cutscenes from the, the cut end scenes. of the Matrix. Awesome, I'm glad you did. Uh, but but yes, uh, eight it, it if is you count so me ca- watching the cutscenes from ent- from the MMO. And then maybe 10 if you count me watching clips from Path of Neo. It's so much content of questionable quality. Uh, Animatrix aside, which is kind of bomb-ass. But uh, you know what I'm saying? Because I say cool stuff like bomb-ass. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So if the kids will hang out with me. Honestly, (laughs) The Matrix is a bomb-ass franchise because it's for aging millennials and Gen Xers alone. Yeah. The entire part of my my grand uh, theory, because... First of all, I'm hopped up on coffee. I'm still on keto, so my brain is screaming at all times. I this is a cry for help from Holden. Please, <laughs> please, his co-host is a madman. He's he's deliberately torturing his body. To, the to more sugar I don't eat, game. the more electricity is sparking my mind. <laughs> but the uh Everything from comic books to 90s anime to yeah. the rock music to the all in generic counterculture message versus even something as simple as like Thomas Anderson, Neo's like big thing is, do you just go to work every day at your comfy office right. job or do you like become a cool leather guy who hangs out at goth nightclubs like fight it's, club yeah it's 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 it all all ties into the same anybody you know. younger than gen x or elder millennial already is like wait what do you mean my option is <laughs> i just by default get a cushy office job that's not a thing i would I, <laughs> there are no more cushy office jobs what the fuck are you so talking true. about i need insurance like it's such a and every gen x movie has that same thing where it's about selling out yeah. and not survival but this is just one thread of my brain explosion thinking about these sequels yeah we're gonna be going off on some tangents today for sure too anyways but yeah getting back to then you go in to see reloaded and all of a sudden you're hit with a lot of fan- highfalutin words, Jake. Mm-hmm. Of course, the that wa- rewatching that scene with the architect uh, at the very end. It's so funny. I remember being so confused at the very end of that movie because of the conversation, all the things the architect says. And it's so funny now reapproaching it and kind of like blocking out the fancy words. It's actually quite simple what he's saying. He's just saying like there's been six. This is the sixth one. It's a constant cycle of of death and rebirth, essentially. And uh, but you may be the one to break the cycle. And I will get into the Buddhism shit later. But it's definitely based on Buddhism and a little bit of Dune, by yeah, yeah, the way, yeah. which is very interesting. That final I didn't even realize that until after I did all that work on Dune, and then seeing what happens to Neo in the third film is so fascinating uh, to me in hindsight because I'm like, you just pulled that straight from Dune Messiah. 
But anywho, I digress. That second movie, going in the theater and seeing it, and I remember like, I'm trying to remember if I actually thought it was like not up to snuff to the original or if I learned I needed to think that afterwards. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very good at at deciphering it even at that, especially, yeah, even at that time in college. They were kind of walking up being like, yeah, it was good, right? Kind of, you know what it was? It was the Star Wars prequel effect. You walk out, you're like, that was, yeah, right? Right? And then like the more you talk about it, you're like, wait, what the fuck was that at the end? Yeah. What is, why was Colonel Sanders in it? And what, what is, you know, uh, what was that rave scene? What the fuck is, what happened? What happened to? I feel like the first movie had a lot of like compelling dialogues and like, uh, and then when they did info dumps, they did a great job uh, supplementing it with really cool visuals to explain the higher concepts they were talking about. But in this movie, there's a bunch of uh, dirty people talking about the council for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, there's always has to be, by the way, in all of these weird, like, throwing the whole franchise off course, there's got to be a weird council that no one has any emotional connections to. (laughs) I think that's probably kind of the other part of it. There's just, like, a ton of extra new characters that you never get a chance to actually, like, identify with on any level. You know what I mean? Because the Wachowskis... uh and oh, another thread. God, you know what? Hold on. Finish your thing. I'm so fucking hyped about like, I'm, talking I'm, about these movies. I'm so hyped about talking about it too. Uh, but but, and then also, you know, there were definitely high points, at least to us back then. And what's funny is the high points to us back then are the things I actually didn't like about it <laughs> upon a rewatch, which was the you know Agent Smith fight scene in in the uh, second one. Well, there's the burly brawl, which is what they used on set to refer to the 100 Agent Smith fight. Yeah, yeah, that one. And then there's the super fight, which is the one at the end of Revolutions where they go all Dragon Ball Z. Which I thought actually thought that kind of ruled. Yeah, it's still it's still But the the one in the second one is so CGI'd up in such a silly way and there's just kind of some sillier moves like of all the stuff, I do think there's some later fights that super hold up. The one in like the mansion with the just the room filled with weapons, mm-hmm. like badass weapons, uh, and that car chase, the car slash truck slash motorcycle chase scene, I thought was actually pretty badass. Right? Yeah. There were there were definitely some some things that that felt good, and then it's all broken up by these like long winded conversations about like what is happening in this world and trying to set up and explain things. And it just doesn't, it's the opposite of what the first one did. The first one was like very little dialogue, like, and, and but explaining a ton with a very little, showing a lot to tell a very little amount, wall-to-wall action, memorable action scenes, uh, and the plot moves forward so much more inherently. Whereas I think the second one and the third one, I mean, we can get into, we'll obviously get into as well, um, is just like Terminator essentially by that point. It's like not even, it just doesn't even feel like it's a Matrix movie, but of course it is. And I, I can appreciate it more now, but, but it's so weird. There's just mechs and killer machines and not we're not really in the Matrix all that much. Uh, by that point, I think that's what threw people off the 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 course. And, I, and actually, the Wachowskis have now gone uh, and explained kind of what they were trying to do. I feel like it's somebody at points of their explanation. It kind of sounds like a little kid trying to like convince you he uh, forgot his homework on purpose. Yeah. But but that said, they at least have an explanation they put out there for like a why people might not have liked what they did and but why they did what they did. So there is that, and we'll get to that in a second. But 
Uh, all this rambling to say, it is just like all over the place. I just these sequels are so fucking all over the place, and um, I don't know how to feel about it. Jake, tell me how to feel ab- about it. Is it good? The Matrix sequels are a tragedy. <laughs> they are a tragedy of wasted human effort, of wasted uh, storytelling of wasted imagery and symbolism that honestly our world kind of needed to hear at that time and yet it just did not communicate it effectively. And if you did like the sequels, I'd just like to direct your uh, DMs to Jake. You can get Jake on uh, Best Jake Young on uh, Twitter, I believe. That's your handle, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's... Oh, I, I There's so many directions I want to go with this. So I watched a ton of behind the scenes footage. Okay. Uh, There's multiple documentaries because this was the early 2000s and everything needed to have a web series and DVD extras and breathless articles in American Cinematographer Magazine. If you want to know how they built that uh, mile and a half of highway in Alameda, California on a naval base to do that highway scene, you can see it all. And watching all these Stunt people, craftsmen, choreographers, prop masters, uh, legions of CG artists working day in, day out to nail some of these shots. Uh, Something like uh, when the agent jumps out of his car and like lands on another car and it explodes and creates a massive car pileup. It's a cool part. And the cars all in perfect unison are all uh, like exploding and flipping like a beautiful scene. There's scenery going by that's been digitally added. All of this hard work that took days to shoot, take after take after take, because the uh, Wachowskis were famously driven and famously perfectionist about the visuals in their movies. All of that, and all you can see is just how weird and gummy the agent is because he used they used a digital actor, and he's just like, like he's something out of a PS3 game, yes, <laughs> and you're just yeah, like, yeah. ah. And then they talk to the uh, the CG artists and uh, people like John Gaeta, who was the uh, effects designer, the head of effects for this movie, who literally, ex- whose, en- whose ingenuity changed the world with bullet time. Bullet time became a meme. We wouldn't have had Zack Snyder. We wouldn't have had so many things in modern storytelling if this guy wasn't on the bleeding edge of visual effects technology. And he's explaining how the light is diffracting and how they have to scan each individual surface to make sure that the light reflection is perfect on Neo's coat. And they have to create new algorithms to create explosions and how uh, every actor is shot in 4D with like giant scans of their face. And they're in, they show Keanu Reeves and Hugo weaving and humongous like scanning rigs. And uh, even uh, Hugo weaving in the... Uh, final fight where there's literally a hundred perfect life-size mannequin doubles of him being each one being controlled by armies of extras who have to like move his head just so much effort yeah and still still all you can see is just like man why does that guy's jacket look so fucked up that's you know it's it's they're innovating and and their innovations in the past led to like amazing stuff right out the gate. Whereas this, I think, was technology that had to be developed a little bit more. And so with all this stuff happening, though, all this stuff that looks so bad and is so off-putting is how movies are made now. Every movie that makes it to the box office is a $300 million spectacle with 
seamless integration of CGI and virtual actors and real world shots and composites and green screen. And, you know, there's not, and even the fact that like most Marvel movies now have like companion series with Disney plus stuff where like, and Netflix series. I'll do you one. I'll do you one more. Uh, This was one of the first times they, they released a film in the theater with knowing that it was just one half of, of, uh, of, of a story. That because Reloaded it, and and to back that up, they even have you know it was filmed concurrently. Reloaded and Revolutions were filmed concurrently together. And uh, at the end of the, there was a post credit sequence that gives you a preview of the next movie. Which again, this isn't the first time there's been post credit sequences before. In fact, I looked it up. The first post credit sequence was in a film in 1966. However, this was the first film uh, I do believe that set up what Marvel. Marvel would end up doing with all of their movies where they give you a teaser of the next, you know, thing in the, the next part of the story at, in that post credit scene. It wasn't like a wrap-up bit. It was an actual, like, and here's what's next. And that was uh, largely adopted by the MCU, much less, you know, Harry Potter uh, uh, did the two-parter thing. I mean, you could argue that The Hobbit was the same thing. Hobbit did it. Uh, yeah. uh, the uh, Hunger Games did it. Yeah. Like, yeah, every, uh, even Twilight did it. It yep. was just de rigueur in the 2000s that you keep your money train going by splitting up movies. And most recently, Dune uh, did it, and mm-hmm. and so th- there's all this innovation happening in ways we didn't even think with these movies, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Yeah, I totally, totally uh, uh, agree with that, and 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 I think that is kind of cool. But the problem was, is like it set it, it set a precedent for it, but it didn't really deliver in and of itself. Yeah, the dialogue, the story problems, the motivations, uh, even just something as simple like in the first movie. Uh, you know, they want to have a fun philosophy moment. So there's Spoon Kid. We all remember Spoon Kid. Yes. That conversation is barely a minute long. Yeah. Then in Reloaded, all of a sudden, Neo is just talking to a council guy and they're like, well, what is control? If humans cannot live without machines, right. can machines live without humans? And that's like four minutes. It's just <laughs> the pacing is just fucked. Yeah, the conversation with the Oracle the, the, uh, right before the giant Agent Smith fight and reloaded where they it's a very long-winded way to explain why those ghost white boys with dreads show up a couple <sighs> scenes later. Is there like, and honestly, give me the werewolves then. Give, yeah. me, the, give me vampires. If those that, if guys that he's that fighting. Up, all of Merovingian's uh, uh, d- d- dudes, all, which, oh yeah, also there's a French guy who's like a secret Matrix smuggle <laughs> crime lord mm-hmm. who is also a vampire, who was also the head, like the architect of a previous version of the Matrix that was a house of gothic horror, specifically in, uh, because the first Matrix was a paradise and that didn't work. So they're like, well, let's just scare them. So we made a so the machines made a spooky matrix where the Merovingian was in charge, and then he was deposed, but he got to sneak into the new matrix. <laughs> all this stuff is not shown at all; mm-hmm. is not exact, is not explained at all. Maybe in the game, someone like gets deeper into it. Maybe in the animatrix, uh, they explain some stuff. I mean, it took a yeah nine part. Mm-hmm anime, uh, uh, or not nine parts, it was nine different short film anime series to back up a lot of the stuff they're not really getting into or getting across very uh, clearly in the films, which is just like, damn, how much, you know, it's like needing to read, like, 
lore companion pieces while playing a video game. You know what I mean? It's like Dark Souls. It's the Dark Souls of storytelling and film. <laughs> Literally, the boy. There's a the, the character called the boy who like is uh, looks up to Neo and uh, helps out at the end with the ammo loader and shoots the gate in Revolutions or whatever. Uh, we see him. His origin story in the Animatrix. We learn about him in the in the game. And then he just shows up out of nowhere being like, hi, Neo, it's me. And like, supposedly, as an audience, we're supposed to be like, oh, shit, there he is. That's our guy. <laughs> like, like You know that? what it is? Here's my, here's my on, on the, uh, just in the moment, thesis statement. Mm-hmm. The Matrix, the original film, took all of these elements, video games, anime, all these different action films. Comic you books. Know, comic books and and it fused them perfectly into this one amazing summer blockbuster film mm-hmm. uh whereas the sequels they did the opposite they broke them all out into <laughs> all of those different pieces of media it's like they 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 it, it was like an hourglass shape and like they brought it all in fused it into one thing and then they puked it all back out into into the world in all these different formats and some of it's really good and even some of the elements of the movies are really good but Jake can I can I unpack one thing for you that I, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole on go for it everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over one hundred and thirty years. We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I think this is a good place to kind of start. And that is answering the questions, were the Wachowskis intending on even making a Matrix sequel. So here we go. Of course, obviously, Hollywood definitely wants to make a Matrix sequel off the get, right? Hi there, Wachowskis. It's me, uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, that's my full name. I couldn't help but notice that I gave you some <laughs> money and you made more money. So uh, because I'm a fucking idiot and don't understand anything about how art is made, I'm just going to give you more money so you make me more money. That's how it works. And hey, come on. I mean, you saw the ending you guys made, right? And by uh, at the time, I guess uh, they would yeah. be technically guys. Uh, but of course, the Wachowskis have transitioned since. We'll get into that. The whole thing uh, uh, can also be seen as a trans allegory, which I think is makes actually the films more interesting. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. But there's also the ending of that original Matrix. It, it, it potentially leaves audiences hungry for more. I think, you know, I agree with you, Jake. It's just a perfect way to say, and then they lived badassedly ever after. But you do have that line at the ending. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. And then he literally flies off into the sunset after telling the evil robot overlords exactly that. So, of course, Hollywood's like, okay, that's the beginning. Let's go. Let's get this whole thing off the ground. Whether or not the Wachowskis actually had major plans for the sequels when they released the first one, that is up for debate. But some evidence points to, for the most part, no. 
Early drafts of the first film didn't have Neo becoming the one at the end of the first movie, and the script changed a lot over the film's five-year production process. Also, it's important to remember that, that at this point in the 90s, we weren't quite in full-on sequel hell, which later led us to Cinematic Universe Central in the 2010s. I mean, there wasn't an, an necessarily a given that there would be a sequel to a film like this, whereas I feel like if, if The Matrix was made today, like, obviously, it, they would have already signed probably a three-film deal. Not for an original property, dear God, no. Maybe, I, who knows? I mean, at this, I mean, they're so hungry for for uh, uh, cinematic universes these days. In fact, the Reloaded slash Revolution's two-parter concept was not really done, as we said before. Now it's done all the time, and it seems to be a little bit of both. It seems to be, uh, as they say in Buddhism, the middle way. It was confirmed in an Entertainment Weekly article that it was intended to be the first of a sci-fi trilogy. However, such a new and risky IP would probably put the sisters in a position to focus on the first one as potentially self-contained with vague ideas of the sequels if, in fact, the film was a success further down the road. And and it was a five-year production process uh, Mm. just to make that first movie. That's a lot of time. And I definitely feel like, like, sure, they definitely thought, it was definitely the idea of like, this could lead to more, but never were they like, I have a vision. It's going to be this like grand thing. Just imagine the Wachowskis literally just uh, filming the Agent Smith subway fight in the first movie. Uh, you know, Keanu Reeves and Hugo Weaving, and they're just like punching each other. And they're like, yeah, can we, can you believe we got like all these Hong Kong choreographers? This is amazing. By the way, in uh, five years, we're definitely going to need a CGI baby head. Like, there's no way. <laughs> um, yeah, and and uh, I have some more quotes from people involved that, you know, now, too, this is always the story, right? Uh, the first film, they didn't have a lot of uh, Hollywood uh, suits up their ass, right, to make this the most profitable thing ever because they didn't think it was going to turn that much of a profit, right? And all that changes once the first one's a big deal. Then a bunch of hands try to get into the pot, and that, again, makes things more and more difficult. And the pressure is on for the Wachowskis. They have to deliver now. They 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 Before, there was no expectation, right? It's, it's kind of funny because... Now, uh, now that I had no expectation, I enjoyed the sequels more too, right? But because I had such big expectation back when I first saw Reloaded, it was how would it not be a disappointment, Jake? Like, what is? I'm sure there's a screenwriter out there who could have figured it out. Maybe it will. We'll see it with this new Matrix movie coming out, Resurrections, because they're doing some interesting things based on the plot synopsis. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Like, do you think it could have been an incredible trilogy? Was yes. was there a great trilogy in there? Absolutely. There was absolutely a great trilogy in there. Uh, I honestly, you know, I honestly believe that the they tried to make up the lack of time and foresight and consideration that it takes to make a classic movie. They tried to make up for it in money, which is why the action scenes and the digital technology is so was so ahead of uh, the game. Mm-hmm. But the actual plot point to plot point and even just the reasons why specific characters were doing anything or going anywhere were all over the place. Uh, The core in the core, the in the way I see it, the first Matrix was about joining a counterculture of literally uh, being a young person, realizing that the world is built a certain way where that it doesn't need to be and that there's some kind of external force 
making things and uh, making things the status quo and suppressing change. And the power that you feel when you realize you can remake the world, you can fight back, and how much how great that is. Second movie, very important lesson in societies. Even your counterculture, even your rebellion expresses itself in ways that the system wants you to, in ways that is built into the system's own preservation. The twist that like the one is a not this anomaly, not this prophesized thing, but just a part of how the machines control humanity and part of a cycle is a great thing, is a fantastic twist and something that resonates for anybody that like believes in a better world. And then the third movie ends with uh, Neo uh, sacrificing himself in order to achieve a uh, less than heroic piece. You know, even the robots get to stick around. It's about yeah. mutual survival. Yeah. It's not about defeating your enemy. And they do it in a way where they telegraph that he's doing it specifically because he wants a better world. He wants less suffering. Not even because Trinity, because uh, he loves Trinity and wants to save Trinity. Uh, they it, they barely acknowledge it, but in the movie, the idea is like you do this for love. You're only doing this because you love her. The Fifth Element, Jake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just kept screaming, "It's the Fifth Element!" But it's not the Fifth <laughs> Element because they kill off Trinity kind of awkwardly. But again, they Twice. didn't have yeah, they didn't have time to like actually plot it out right. Right, right. But it is a great message. It is a great message that honestly the world needs to hear. Sure. And the Wachowskis, uh, at least in my interpretation. It really resonates. It's just the execution was all over the place. Um, there's a great video. I just have to shout it out called Rewriting the Matrix Sequels by Patrick H. Williams oh, okay. on um, on YouTube, where he breaks down a lot of these points and kind of lays out a very specific scene by scene breakdown of how these movies could have actually been coherent. And it just it makes me mourn for the movies that could have been. So here is Lana's big rundown of what they were trying to do and how audiences did not take it that well to kind of back up everything you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least maybe not back up, maybe argue. And I want to, I want to see what you think about that. Um, Lana Wachowski. The third movie asks you to participate in it. This is what we wanted to do with the trilogy. And it was an experiment from the beginning was, could you change the way that general audiences participate in an action movie? Uh, this is not, this is just a synopsis of the next bit. The first film, straight up a typical action film down the line. They considered movies themselves to be matrices. The movies are the matrix. They are these contained immersive experience and they tell you what to see, what to think, and what to feel. Lana said, and then we thought, well, that's for us problematic. With the, we were trying to achieve with the story overall was a shift. The same kind of shift that happens to Neo. That Neo goes from being in this sort of cocooned and programmed world to having to participate in the construction of meaning to his life. And we were like, well, can the audience go through the three movies and experience something similar to what the main character experiences? So the first movie is sort of classical in its approach. The second movie is deconstructionist and assaults all things that you thought to be true in the first movie. So people get very upset and they're like, stop attacking me in the same way that people get upset with deconstructionist philosophy, Jake. And then the third movie is the most ambiguous because it asks you to participate in the deconstruction of meaning. Now, what do you think about that? The, 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 do you think they at all succeed in getting that across? I do think it's a fascinating idea that movies in themselves are the matrix because you go into a dark room and you are given the experience. You, you are 
manipulated a lot of times to feel the emotions they want you to feel and to view the people the way they want you to view them. Even in documentaries, it's impossible to avoid. I think that's very cool and interesting. Does that get across in the films? I'm not sure. I almost feel like the third film should have been even more ambiguous than it was. And rewatching it, I was waiting for this like really like difficult to discern thing. I was like, it's pretty clear cut. The Zion is fighting back against the machines. Neo has to go to the machine world and sacrifice himself and uh, to get out of the cycle of endless suffering that the Matrix is at the end of the day, which is totally this Buddhism concept. It was essentially Neo is the story of the Buddha. Yes, that's why he has angel wings and there's a big cross on his body as he dies. <laughs> I Definitely I mean, classic Buddha. I mean, I know he does this. Uh, yes, there's the Jesus sacrifice, but it's the story of the Buddha. I mean, the idea that the Matrix is a thing that constantly mm. uh, resets and 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 happens over and over again. Let's get into it real quick. The the Matrix they established in the second film, this is the sixth one. I'm kind of surprised they went with just six. Mm. I would have thought they would have said, like, this is like the 1,740th one, right? Or something yeah. like that. And and finally, it is Neo, the this version of Neo that comes along in this version of the Matrix that finally is able to step off and... and end the ceaseless uh, uh, cycle of suffering and the endless fighting and and sacrifice himself for the greater good, right? And that's because he... This is not really the Buddhist thing, but that's because of his love for Trinity as opposed to the previous versions of Neo's general love for humankind. That's a little off of Yeah, they especially say the secret ingredient was love this time. Yeah, it's the fifth element. But this is the thing about it, or just what I want to get across is like, so um, if you don't know in Buddhism... Uh, uh, the story of the Buddha, he was like this prince, essentially, from this big kingdom. He decided to, uh, in a search of his own spirituality, relieve himself of his his kingdom and go into the woods and join the ascetics who, were the, who gave up all earthly possessions, right? I mean, essentially... He ate the red pill, mm-hmm. right? And he went into and he went into the the woods and and joined, you know, the the humans that you know were uh, essentially the humans that aren't in the matrix, right? That can tap in. And then uh, in his journey, he realizes he needs to find the middle way and uh, between the two extremes. So he's working within kind of both. And through meditation and all this sort of stuff, he breaks from this constant cycle of reincarnation because Buddhism is predicated on the concept of uh, reincarnation, on, on the idea that. Uh, we're on a constant spin and wheel, and it just we just die and be are reborn over and over and over again endlessly. Much like there are, uh, there would seemingly be endless matrices. There was similar uh, a matrix would start, they'd go, the humans would fight back, the made the robots would uh, uh, shut it down, and they would start anew with a new matrix. And there was no way to break out. And it it took, and he was the first one. The Buddha was the first one in in religion to uh, gain enlightenment. Uh, reach nirvana and just get off the hamster wheel mm-hmm. completely. The idea that is the idea, right? It's like to cease to exist through nirvana, reaching nirvana through meditation and through uh, searching for enlightenment is the end goal for Buddhism, right? Uh, and, and that's kind of what we get here, and and that's definitely definitely what they were trying to get get across is this kind of Buddhist concept wrapped in with a, the self-sacrifice Jesus thing as well. I guess you have a point there, Jake. So part of the, so one of the things that makes the matrix uh, franchise so uh, enjoyable and kept a really rabid phantom alive, not to plug the Patreon, but over on the bonus uh, feed, if you happen to you know give us $5 a month and listen to all those amazing bonus episodes, I have an uh, interview 
with a uh, Matrix content creator named uh, Neo Matrixology, who has uh, been a fan for years, for decades, has not given up the ghost. He played, he was there the day the Matrix Online was unplugged. And uh, the community there trying to decipher all of this symbolism, all of this imagery, where in any given frame of the Matrix, there uh, in the Matrix trilogy, there's like references to the Bible, there's references to Buddhism, there's like weird little passwords and nuggets and things written in hexadecimal that you got to go translate on your computer. And the idea that uh, it, they do leave it kind of vague, they do deal in a lot of symbols so that you can take away from it what you will and everything is given extra gravity. Um, I'll say A, uh, themes of rebirth and death and transcendence are absolutely everywhere in the cycle. I don't know if it's a one-for-one explicitly with the story of the Buddha because there is, again, so much Jesus stuff happening as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's definitely some Jesus stuff going on. But with Lana's quote saying that, you know, we decided to deconstruct and people like responded negatively to it. Uh, there's a people made fun of that architect scene at the end of the movie. Uh-huh. After you know, we go to the Merovingian and we get the key maker and we go to the Oracle and we have a, a, a big burly fight. We do all of this stuff, and the big revelation is you walk into and there's this white room with a Colonel Sanders guy, and he explains, a, which I think is a great In the most like, verbose way possible. I, I I was looking out for it. I was laughing my ass off. It's just, the, the, the thesaurus was wide open for that monologue, for sure. Uh, I almost, If I can find it, I would love to plug in a uh, clip from Will Ferrell making fun of that moment on the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> the MTV Movie Awards are a systemic anomaly inherent to the programming of The Matrix. Although the transport process has altered your consciousness, you irrevocably remain human, ergo, concordantly, vis-a-vis. You know what? I have no idea what the hell I'm saying. <laughs> uh, a, a great twist. This is, I believe it's a fantastic twist and a great rug pull for the audience that I, that's what uh, Lana's talking about, that like, oh, they did, responded negatively because I like took away their fun power fantasy. That... No, the one was never actually going to take anything down. The one was built in. The one is just an equation that we have and is just part of how we uh, keep the gutters clean in the matrix. Even your fantasies of taking down the system is part of the system. And that is a great lesson. Conversely, Mm -hmm. in the first matrix... Uh, Morpheus sits down in the leather chair, in the virtual leather chair, and we learn all about how the Matrix works, the fields of babies, how they liquefy everybody, uh, the battery, all of that, which is an insane information dump. Also, a huge rug pull, holy shit, high concept thing, but you get visual information to back up what is saying throughout the entire thing, and all you get reloaded is just this Colonel Sanders ass guy talking. And yeah, that's, yeah. So it is about execution. It, there was mistakes in how the story was executed. By the way, uh, the idea of the one being a part of the system and implanted on purpose 
by like uh, higher beings, essentially. Bene Gesserit, totally do that. It <laughs> was kind of funny. And and then again, and also, you know, the going blind and still being able to see, mm-hmm. you know, the, the being able to like, uh, yeah, having like uh, ascending to a higher level of being to be able to see everything still around you because you like just know what's going to happen. That is completely happens in the Dune series at a point. So they definitely had that book open uh, throughout this, I think. This is what Lana had to say. Um, I, instead of my just implanting the whole Buddhism thing on this, this is what Lana had to say about uh, that uh, spiritual ending. At this point in the story, Neo stands on the verge of Satori, ready to resolve the paradox of choice and choicelessness, of free will versus fate. But that can only be achieved through an act of surrender, which only occurs after he has abandoned the perspectival nature of truth, accepting the totality of present consciousness. Um, I will say, in terms of that line of thinking, very Buddhist as well, uh, about being in the moment, about how all you have is like your current moment, um, uh, that is, that is incredibly uh, Buddhist thinking as well, for sure. Oh, that's interesting. I read that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I already said it. I read it. I read that moment less about transcendence, but still about surrender. Where like mm-hmm. the revolution, the the overthrow, the big like fuck yeah moment is not gonna. You're not gonna be Superman in that moment. You might die, and you might not even win the whole way. You might just like settle for something better, and that's how actual change is made. And it you the the lie of the one just opening all the sheeple's eyes is just uh, kind of countered with the ending to the trilogy. Oh wait, by the way, did you actually see that quote? Because uh, apparently that is from the 2005 video game, uh, The Matrix: Path of Neo. Uh, it's a third-person action adventure game oh released on God. the PlayStation okay, okay. Two and Xbox. Yeah, you got you want to you want to go off on. I, this? I don't have the quote, but like famously. Famously, or I guess not famously. This is if you were a fan. This is I'm so hoping this weird. episode is <laughs> is amazing for people that just like us. Before we decided to research this topic, kind of watched the sequels in the early 2000s. Went well, that was weird, and just never thought about the Matrix ever again. But now we have to because this new movie's coming out, and I think it might actually be really good. And we're going to get into that a little bit uh, later on. Before the big end boss fight. Uh, pixelated representations of the Wachowskis show up on screen in the famous red leather couches yes. in the white loading space yes. and just go, so do you have the quote, read the quote. <laughs> oh no, that was the quote. Uh, yeah. Lana's quote is the one I have. I don't have anything after that. I just know what you're talking about that. Yeah. Right before you're going to go, like essentially you're going to do the thing that you may have wanted Neo to do in uh, the actual movies. You're going to like, fight and win and save the day. But before that happens, you get transported to a room and the Wachowskis essentially sit you down and explain to you at least what they were trying to get Talking across. directly to the player. <laughs> it's so weird. I love it. I love that. I think it's so cool. The big fight involves all of the Agent Smith clones like kind of uh, army anting, interlocking together with all the rubble and forming a big kaiju Agent Smith who then uh, picks up a pair of giant agent sunglasses that was sitting on a nearby billboard and puts it on his giant concrete head. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, so anyways, I uh, wanted to get a couple other things across about 
what what may have happened with with this series. There was uh, some quotes from cinematographer Bill Pope. Um, as as we stated before, it was filmed at the same time as as uh, the two movies were filmed at the same time. The filming lasted over a year, from March 2001 to August 2002. Bill Pope said, "There is something about making a shoot that long, 276 shoot days, that is mind numbing and soul numbing, and it numbs the movie." You think about The Hobbit, where they shot one, two, and three, and the movies are just numbing. In the books, you don't feel that because you pick it up and put it down. In a movie shoot, it's too long. There's a limit to what you can take in. Do you agree with that, Jake? I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, concept. The gruelingness of the production, how every single member of the cast and crew was pushed beyond their limits, can be felt. Especially having watched all those behind-the-scenes documentaries where uh, Hugo Weaving talks about uh, how they started shooting the super fight. The, the crew talks about how they worked for hours to get the, the rain chubby, to get that good chubby rain so that you could see the, the drops falling. And uh, they had to cut and reshoot because uh, his hair kept getting wet. So they had to stop, shave his head, and get him a waterproof wig that more accurately matched the other uh, mannequin Smith clones that were seen in the background. Uh, he talks about how there was a single interchange, like exchange of punches that they had to take 78 takes on throughout a single day. Just one quick close up of them doing a couple of moves took 78 takes and they came back the next day and had to do another 15. The uh, everything these these actors are being flung on wires they are being put into harnesses. They're being shoved around at 100 miles per hour. Even uh, the fight choreography team rented uh, the famous astronaut training vomit comet, one of those zero G <laughs> planes, just so they could like help visualize how uh, free flight kung fu fighting would look. There's just so much work and yeah concentrated effort put into every frame of this movie because the first, the second one's almost two and a half hours long by the way the agent smith fight scene alone took 27 days to shoot just one scene movies are made in that much time it is so insane uh bill pope also said everything that was good about the first experience was not good about the last two we weren't free anymore people were looking at you there was a lot of pressure and then the other thing you said how many takes it took for that one punch a lot of Pope's chagrin was aimed towards a cinematic genius stanley kubrick the wachowskis had read this oh this is from bill pope uh, the Wachowskis had read this damn book by Stanley Kubrick that said actors don't do natural performances until you wear them out. So let's go to take 90. I want to dig Stanley Kubrick up and kill him. <laughs> the highway scene, which, again, they famously had to build an entire mile and a half of highway to create, uh, took 60 days to film. Each of these big scenes had the had the budget and dedication of what should be a normal movie's budget like dedicated to them. Uh, there was also a lot of tragedy on set. Uh, 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 you know, Hugo Weaving, uh, Keanu Reeves, and Carrie Ann Moss all had injuries on set. Uh, Aaliyah was originally cast to play uh, Z, who was, I believe the actor's name was uh, Link, or not the actor's, the character's name was Link, but you see her in throughout the movie, uh, uh, but uh, Aaliyah famously died in a plane crash, and so all of her scenes had to be reshot with a new actress. And even the woman who plays the Oracle, Gloria Foster, died in between the filming of the two movies, and uh, they had to replace her 
also, and she had been a part of the cast and was part of like the core story. She was like the opposite of the architect. She was one of the masterminds. And the Matrix uh, Revolutions has this whole scene where this new actress has to go like, that's right, I look different. Uh, the Merovingian yeah. killed me off screen, and now I look different, because that's how that works in the Matrix. It's so weird. They do actually explain that a little bit more, I believe, in the Animatrix, one of the Animatrix shorts, but it's all still just, like, icky and weird to do that. Yeah, I uh, I don't know how to handle that sort of thing. You know, I've seen it done so many weird ways, and it never quite feels good. Like in The Sopranos, when they mm. just, like, digitized uh the his mom, mom. <laughs> yeah that was so weird it felt so wrong it feels it feels cheap to have a story beat reason for why like it's a different actor maybe maybe they could have just like not said anything i don't know but uh yeah that was definitely very very weird and uh you know it makes me interested too oh also this, uh, 9-11 these... happened while they were filming oh 9-11 happened. and they were stuck in australia and couldn't be with their families or loved ones I'm so it it honestly makes it, it reminds me of these Avatar movies that I guess will come out at some point. Mm. It's the same kind of thing, right? It's like endless production hell, a giant tragedy struck with COVID in the middle of it. They've been making these fucking movies concurrently for years and years. I feel like it'll be a similar result, but I digress. One cool tidbit is that Keanu Reeves gave a massive amount of his back end money. The money based on the film's performance. The, and the film performed fucking gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Reloaded, that is. Performed fucking gangbusters. Reloaded broke records. Yes, it uh, it uh, breaks broke the record for highest grossing R-rated film of all time, which was previously held by Terminator 2, Speak of the Devil. Uh, but uh, yes, um, he gave a mass amount of his back-end money to the costume and special effects teams, feeling they deserved it more. And since, you know, he even said, he's just like, money is the last thing I think about. Uh, so there you go. There's some Keanu being Keanu for sure. Yeah, so I think he gave a lot of this, he, he just handed out motorcycles at the end of production. He's, there's a reason why he's he's uh, he's got his reputation. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, so uh, I would like to speak towards the trans allegory before we maybe move on to like uh, a little bit more on the Animatrix and stuff like that. Uh, we also need to talk about Enter the Matrix as well and the uh, new film coming out, Resurrections. Uh, since the trilogy was made, both Wachowskis have come out as transgender. Lily Wachowski recently did an interview with Netflix about how the films were tied to their experience 
with being trans. Lily said, I'm glad that people are talking about the Matrix movies with a trans narrative. I love how meaningful those films are to trans people. In the way that they come up to me and say, these movies saved my life. When you talk about transformation, specifically in the world of science fiction, which is just about imagination and world building and the idea of the seemingly impossible becoming possible, that's why it speaks to them so much. I'm grateful we're throwing them a rope to help them along their journey. I'm glad that it has gotten out that that was the original intention. But the world, the corporate world, wasn't quite ready for it. And there are loads of references in the film about transforming, becoming who you were meant to be. I mean, obviously, the whole part where you take the red pill and break out, which is hilarious because the red pill has also been co-opted by a bunch of uh, anti-trans douchebags to further their political movement, which is unbelievable because it it really, it's so funny how hypocritical that is because the whole idea of it is like, you're in this one body in this one situation and there's a real true self out there that you you uh, could can become and you could either stay in this trapped in this body trapped in this one way or you could take the red pill and, and break free and and uh, even though that's gonna be fucking hard mm-hmm. and it's not it's gonna be really really difficult to do that it's gonna take a lot of courage and it's gonna take a lot of you know you're gonna have to wear and you're gonna have to wear clothes with like a bunch of holes in them and stuff you know what I mean you're going to be at a bunch of clubs and you're going to have to be like, ah, okay. You're going to have to look really frown faced at a rave orgy uh, <laughs> once every couple months. No one has fun at that orgy. If you look, rewatch that scene, it's so funny. I also think it's very funny that there was a second uh, orgy rave scene. And we forget that uh, uh, Revolutions also had that like BDSM club oh. where everybody's oh, you're talking about club hell. Other. You're talking about yeah. club hell. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else you want to say about these particular films before we move on? I want to talk about the uh, Animatrix. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Enter the Matrix. It's just, if you are curious about how complicated making a movie can be, you can uh, find yeah. the behind-the-scenes uh, documentaries on YouTube. They're very readily accessible. And just each frame of each thing is a cutting-edge, bleeding technology composition meticulously engineered from scratch by the most talented and driven people in their field and the just sadness of them just like swinging for the fences and them missing so often is I mean something to behold that is how I felt watching especially uh, revolutions this week was like man I can't believe they actually got this done Mm -hmm. like I can't believe they accomplished this it's so huge and epic and that third movie is like so big with the machine war and everything. It's just like kind of mind numbing. And and that they were like, yeah, we're gonna have mechs, we're gonna have fucking, you know, we're gonna show the machines. We're gonna and I, I will All, say, you too, know, those though, sentinels. We're gonna have literally a yeah, million sentinels on screen forming a giant hand, and they're gonna punch a giant th- and that. All those scenes, which are visual noise at a certain point, you literally get numb yeah. during a lot of those Zion war scenes, is a miracle of miniature work, practical effects, digital Crazy. effects, acting, virtual acting, all working together. And the fact that it even is a frame of movie is an achievement. Using computers that at this point were weaker than like your old iPhone. But what it's not is... Dudes in leather using guns and fists to do badass shit in a room. And I think that that was kind of more what people loved about the original Matrix, other than the really novel concept of what it was about, you know? 
that that I think is why it's just it was it, they went full sci-fi uh, space film. You know, they went full on to this other place, and you know that's what they said they intended. So you know, I'm, I'm they got it done, but it's just very bewildering. You know, to to even just think like, wow, this is where we got to from that first movie. This is so crazy in scope and in concept. Uh, so I think the the silver lining here with all of this, besides potentially the new movie, which does seem pretty cool, would be the Animatrix. I think we can agree. Mm-hmm. It was produced by the Wachowskis, but with a killer team of pedigreed animation directors who took on each of the nine animated short films, including Koji Morimoto, who did animation for Akira, uh, Shinichiro Watanabe, of Cowboy Bebop, Cowboy Bebop fame, and Samurai Samurai Champloo. Uh, yeah, and uh, I just wanted to say the name right. Uh, Studio uh, Ghibli uh, as well, uh, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. Studio Ghibli and Kill Bill animator Mahiro Maeda. The second renaissance. Holy shit. That mm. is a good piece yes, of business. Yes, I was going to. So well, let's talk about it. Second renaissance. Yeah. Standout story. It supports the trilogy. Second renaissance. A two-parter. And it gives us the history of the war and the Matrix from the machine's perspective. And I honestly think. I'd almost say that would have been the more interesting story to tell it in a cinematic mm-hmm. scope but it wouldn't be a sequel it would be it's kind of its own thing but yeah i mean it starts with the machines being used as like servant drones to humans and we actually get to see why how they came to power and why they came to power and why they treated the humans the way they did and to give them actual you know meaningful backstory to give you more sympathy for for their plight I, I think would have helped a lot. I think I think empathy and you know emotional connection I think is what the the films are lacking. Right? It I think definitely would have helped if um, the humanity and the motivations of the machines was established more early. Because in the movies, as taken as whatever, uh, you don't even quite realize that like there are good programs until we meet Sati's family in the train station. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, actually there were good machines the whole time, by the way. Fun fact. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really cool. That would be one to maybe check out if you're interested. I think it's all on HBO Max, yeah. by the way. I, I, everything is on there uh, if you want to check it out on streaming. Uh, going back to the uh, other uh, people behind the Animatrix, Peter Chung, who did Aeon Flux, Andy Jones, Jones, I think, who uh, whose visual effects work includes Avatar, Ninja, uh, and then you have Ninja Scroll and Vampire Hunter D Mastermind, Yoshiaki Kawajiri, and uh, Takeshi Koike, who did the more recent loop in the third films and this whole project got sparked by the Wachowskis taking a trip to Japan and essentially just getting to meet their anime idols and they uh, actually got to collaborate with all these people and it just seems like way more you know because you didn't have a bunch of Hollywood executives Mm -hmm. with their hands in the pot you didn't have all this studio pressure you just had this labor of love working with these people that they had obviously admired for years and years and years and of course it makes for a better product this uh this uh, series of, of short films. Almost uh, that, as if, and this fill is going to sound the story. This is going to sound crazy, but the reality bending, camera swoopy, all consumptive, anything possible, high kinetic uh, storytelling that the Wachowskis brought to the Matrix and struggled so uh, laboriously to capture for the sequels. It's almost like that stuff is just how animation just works all the time. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe they just wanted to tell an animated story (laughs) and just 
through sheer force of will, tried to make live action obey those same laws to much hubris. Yeah. Uh, there, the Andy Jones, of course, did Final Flight of the Osiris, which was animated by Square Pictures, which uh, I always think is funny because uh, as a fan, fan? As a witness of Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, I always wonder what could have been. <laughs> oh, God, is that where you're going to make me do an episode on next, I would Jay, never. Please. I would. No, in our Final Fantasy VII <laughs> I episode. I saw that in the theater opening day. I'll yeah, me too. We much. definitely talked about this in the Final Fantasy VII episodes. <laughs> we absolutely talked about it. I was like, where are the Chocobos? <laughs> where are the Chico- Where are the Moogles? No, we uh, got anyway. dead squid ghosts, you <laughs> fucker. Uh, also, you have Enter the Matrix. We talked about Path of Neo, but Enter the Matrix was a game that came out in 2003 and runs alongside the events of The Matrix Reloaded. Filmed simultaneously using sets and actors from the sequels. It has over an hour of original footage written and directed by the Wachowskis, and it follows Niobe, captain of the ship called Logos, and her first mate Ghost as they play their part in helping the humans fight back against the machines. And this is actually the first appearance. This is the part where they explain a little bit more about the Oracle's uh, change-up. This is the first appearance of Mary Alice, the the actor that replaced uh, Gloria Foster after their uh, passing away. And they do explain a lot more the reason for her change in appearance um, in the story. And uh, they also introduce the little girl character, Sati. So, you, which is crazy, though. So there's this whole video game you could play, and it would, like, explain all this extra shit about this fucking movie that people are, this massive blockbuster film. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just kind of mind-boggling to me. And I guess it's actually more normal now with the way the MCU works, right? You got to yeah. go watch the TV show to get more back info on whatever movie you're about to go see in the theater, and that's kind of why people do that why people watch it but it worked against them back then people weren't used to that kind of also very big mistake uh they released a you know i assume just because it's an average triple a video game a 60 hour video game simultaneously with the movie that required a 60 hour video game to fully understand what was happening (laughs) thus Uh really making those day one movie tickets holders uh kind of confused and weird well let's talk about resurrections because i am legitimately excited about this film especially learning more about the backstory of it and everything it is set 20 years after the events of revolutions neo finds himself living an ordinary life in san francisco until he meets a new version of morpheus they didn't ask lauren fishburne lawrence fishburne back so I'm kind of interested. Wait, Holden, you know this, right? The meme. No, maybe. The meme when they first announced the new casting was that lol, they can't invite Lawrence Fishburne back because he was killed in the Matrix Online, which was an MMORPG oh. made by Monolith Software and Warner Brothers Inter- Interactive uh, that the Wachowski signed off on as the canonical sequel to the to yeah. the movies. They literally said they they gave the they essentially gave the story to the gamers. Yeah. By by put just putting out the Matrix online and saying it's yours now. You've inherited the storyline. In the interview with uh, Neo Matrixology, the a self-professed uh fan Matrix expert, uh you know, he laid out that canonically in the events of the game, Morpheus tries to get Neo's body back from the machines uh straining their tenuous piece. Throughout the game, you fight for machine factions and uh, you have agents giving you missions. And there's this feeling of an unsteady peace between uh, humans that want to go back to the Matrix, their machines that want to keep humans in the Matrix, and the forces that want to maintain the peace. You know, classic faction stuff. Uh, the Merovingian hires an assassin as revenge to Morpheus. 
And then in later events, a Morpheus Sim is introduced, a construct taken from bits of cached memories and, and deeds of Morpheus within the game. So Morpheus is canonically a different reconstructed digital Morpheus. And hmm. uh, a lot of fans have poured through the trailers and leaked clips. By leaked, I mean officially released by the multi-million dollar studio. Um, <laughs> that lends credence that the events of this game, which on its last day, when they unplugged the servers, only 300 people were actually there to witness that this multi-million dollar franchise is holding true to the fact that the events of this MMO are canon, which I find <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, that is that is really, really interesting. I had no idea about that. So I was I was like, why would they do this? Because he He's died like, in the game. Bring him back. Well, it, it, uh, all right. So, so the timeline of this movie coming to be. Since like back in 2011, there were new rumors of a of a plan two more films and talks with uh, Keanu Reeves to reprise the role. I don't know whether that's true or not, but what I do know is the Warner Brothers, man, they really wanted another Matrix movie for years and years now. Literally once a year, they would approach the Wachowskis about making another film in the franchise. For years and years, the Wachowskis said no, absolutely not. They even uh, they even uh, commissioned a prequel script by Zach Penn. That was kind of a young Morpheus adventure mm. that uh, many people, uh, many fans speculate was never intended to be produced, but was just kind of used as a bargaining chip for the Wachowskis being like, hey, we own the IP. If you don't yeah. do it, we'll do it. We'll do it. So then we cut to 2019 and Ron and Lynn Wachowski, the siblings' parents, die within five weeks of each other. And in the throes of grief over this, Lana found some escape in the conception of a story for a new Matrix film. This is the quote from Lana. Unbelievable, too. So tragic uh, that this happened, and I really feel for them. Uh, Lana said, I didn't really know how to process that kind of grief. I hadn't experienced it that closely. You know their lives are going to end, and yet it was still really hard. My brain has always reached into my imagination, and one night I was crying and I couldn't sleep, and my brain exploded this whole story, and I couldn't have my mom and dad, yet suddenly I had Neo and Trinity, arguably the two most important characters in my life. It was immediately comforting to have these two characters alive again, and it's super simple. You can look at it and say, okay, these two people die, and okay, bring these two people back to life, and oh, doesn't that feel good? Yeah, it did. It's simple, and this is what art does, and that's what stories do. They comfort us. So pretty pretty miraculous. I love a story about overcoming grief with uh, putting something beautiful in the world. Lily, however, uh, decided to step away from the project for kind of similar reasons. She didn't want to return to the past. Lily said, I didn't want to have gone through my transition and gone through this massive upheaval in my life, the sense of loss for my mom and dad, to want to go back to something that I had done before and sort of walk over old paths that I had walked in. Uh, felt emotionally unfulfilling and really the opposite. Like I was going to go back and live in these old shoes in a way and I didn't want to do that. So for the same reason Lana wanted to do that, Lily didn't want to do it. And that's it's, kind of very interesting. I, I don't want to speculate into something as deeply personal as the loss of a family member, but I find it uh, there's a you missed a part of that quote where uh, Lily says that you know she's like Lana came up with this idea for another Matrix movie dot dot dot, uh, and there was something about the idea she calls it going backwards yeah and that like uh, you know I that Lana came across this overwhelmingly inescapable you know this terrible thing that all people have to come to terms with. And she found solace in the fact that while she couldn't bring her parents back, as a creator, she st still had the power to bring back 
Neo and Trinity. Yeah. That like it's it would be almost a waste of the power of creation and art to like not be not exercise that. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. Well, Lily was like, what, you want to do Matrix stuff again? What? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. Which I also think is completely valid. It's really interesting how the same thing can have completely different reactions, especially between two siblings of uh, in this way. It's very fascinating. Also, I'm gonna I'm I'm ooh, I'm gonna be a little bit mean to a morning person when I say, uh, you know, like oh, I had to bring back these characters, Neo and Trinity. You mean the Cipher and the Cipher's cool ninja girlfriend who doesn't <laughs> like have any opinions besides. I love the cipher. Like it's what the are you fifth element, about? Jake. It's the fifth <laughs> element. Sensate writers David Mitchell and Alexander Himmen. Uh, Sensate was uh, did pretty well, right? On Netflix, uh, mm-hmm. a fun kind of sci-fi show the Wachowskis did. Wrote the script with Lana. The film is to be a direct sequel to the first film. So there's a lot of speculation over what that exactly means in terms of its relation to the sequels that we spent about an hour screaming about. I really hope they're. Uh, referenced it all or else Jake just made me watch two four and a half hours of of uh, film uh. <laughs> I think it's healthy that we that as a nerd culture we kind of build these narratives and you know we kind of just take it for granted over the years and then you know sometimes you got to reestablish like were our eyes in 2003 the correct perspective and it turns out a little bit, yeah, a little bit now. All I know is Back to the Future 2 is a fantastic film. Oh, my but, God. Uh, you got to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but just a month into production, by the way, the project was halted due to the pandemic, and Lana Wachowski apparently considered shelving the project entirely, but was actually convinced to keep it going by the cast, and filming resumed later that year, which again just makes me feel like I love that this was born out of this really impactful moment in their life and wasn't like a cynical move. I love that the cast felt so strongly about the making of this film that they convinced Lana to keep it going. These are the little nuggets I need to say, hey, this might be a really fucking good movie and we need I'm, to definitely check God, it out. I could use a win, not gonna lie. I could use a win for sure. Uh, it is set to release on December 16, 2021. I think this episode will probably already uh, be out after it's released. I think it got delayed. I thought it's uh, 22nd now. Or hold on. Oh, really? Oh, well, either way, um, uh, I hope it's good. And then I wrote in all caps, you fuckers. Uh, so, Google says December 22nd. So you got two okay. days. Two days to there find out go. if we're wrong or not. Six days before my birthday. I hope it's not the cats of <laughs> I mean, if it was the cats, that is also a win. I mean, I guess that's also kind of a win. Well, I feel like we had a win doing this episode. It really was fascinating to unpack it. I hope we didn't, I hope we didn't like were too weren't too harsh on something that you maybe love or or anything. I mean, I do think there are really great things about these movies. And I think it's more just a fascinating look at the Hollywood system, the sequel system, where we used to be at that point in the early 2000s and where how far we've come with cinematic universes at this point. They really did set a lot of precedents though with those movies that I didn't even think about the whole part 1 part 2 thing, um the whole post credits teaser, all that stuff. I mean, that really was unheard of until they came around and did it. And uh, I do hope this new film is fantastic. I'm so excited. I mean, I, I, I'm loving Keanu these days. And, um, you know, I have high hopes. I just think it could be really Side cool. note, uh, watching the sequels with a uh, lovely, uh, perfect fiance, uh, Marie, 
the whole time we were both going like, oh my God, Keanu is such a baby. <laughs> Look at this little baby Keanu. Yeah. Keanu Reeves was exactly our age when he was fi- when they were filming. <laughs> it's just he can still do high kicks and I need yeah. five Advil before I can even get out of bed. My back went out. It's killing me. <laughs> so uh, that's where I'm at. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check us out. Uh, check me out on twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. I'm streaming Monday, Tuesday, Friday. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see you come around. I love when Wiz- Wizard and the Bruiser fans pop in and say hello. As always, always a good time. Uh, you know what? Jake! Uh, follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung for all my thoughts and plops and fun bits of research. I posted some horrific gifts from the production of the Matrix sequels this week. Uh, really a torturous process for all involved. <laughs> Um, also I stream, I do, uh, I have a VTuber avatar, go to youtube.com slash puppet Jared. I stream, uh, weekdays. Uh, my favorite so far in the, is, uh, the Thursday cartoon dumpster yes. where we watch old cartoons from the nineties and, uh, just riff on them. It's a lot of fun. I think if you're a fan of this show, you'd enjoy what we do over there. Go to youtube.com slash puppet Jared. Hey, and always remember, never stop bruising. I choose to keep on whizzing. Wow, he doesn't break the cycle. He keeps it going. Interesting. Opposite of Neo. Love it. Uh, (laughs) All right, it's over. Stop listening. Stop fucking listening. It's done. We're done with this. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.